Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show goes where you go to experience those aha moments and those mastermind encounters that move you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And where are you when these things happen? What do you hear? You hear ambient noise. You hear a conversation at the next table. You hear a bird chirping. You hear a car driving by. You hear the atmosphere. You may hear a cat meowing or a baby uh, requesting its meal. Or you may hear a dog barking, somebody knocking at the door. This is where it really happens. It's not in the sterile soundproof studio. It's not in your office. It's when you get out there and you see the world and you can counter people. That's where the magic happens. And that's where we take you. Today, we're coming to you from my couch here in beautiful, sumptuous Las Vegas, known to some, at least me, as the hottest city in America, where I am under the strict supervision of my two office supervisors, Princess Alessandra Francesca and Princess Stella Giuliana, one of which is sitting on either side of me. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, those are my two domestic short hair black cats. So what we're going to cover today, and I love these types of episodes, where we actually get to go into a specific industry and learn things about that industry that can potentially apply to anything that you, the listener, are doing. We are going to learn a bit about the secret to success for developing a successful, scalable cannabis dispensary chain. And to share with us on that today, we have Joseph Velatico. And there's so much to discover about him, but I can tell you that before he got into cannabis, he spent over 10 years in the beverage industry, which led to him founding Oak and Cane Spirits. He's, uh, he uh, was acting COO of that corporation, and today he is involved with an entity called Greatest Hits Cannabis. There's so much of the story. It's so enthralling. I'm actually going to have him tell you, but first, let's introduce him. Joe Velatico, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, Adam. Nice to meet you. Pleasure uh, having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I got to tell you candidly. The reason I didn't read off your full official bio is because it's so impressive. There's no way that I could justify even being in your presence. And this is my show. So what we're going to do here is we're actually going to have you tell the story. Share with us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Where do I start? It's been a journey. That's for sure. Um, you know, as a young kid, I was always kind of embedded into the entrepreneurship. Uh, my, my father, who is 40 years of owning his own business and been in the restaurant business for a very long time and super successful, 
uh, I kind of just followed in that in, in those footsteps. Um, you know, I started as a kid racing uh, per motocross and that turned into a professional career in motocross for about four and a half, five years. Um, and in that sport, you got to be really passionate, determined and just disciplined. And uh, it, it's a it's a very difficult and tough sport. And I think that it built me in a good way for the, for the business world, because we all know that business isn't easy. So uh, you have to have thick skin and you need to know how to pivot and just kind of really be uh, all in when, when you start a business. So uh, from there, um, motocross is dangerous. So I had a lot of injuries and at a younger age, I was roughly 20. I stopped racing. Uh, and then I started my career really at Monster Energy Drink. I did their sports marketing worldwide sales um, for but roughly six years. And from there, I, uh, man, I, I met a lot of people. I had a lot of connections uh, and just really kind of networked myself into a position of, uh, you know, helping people and, and people reciprocating that favor to me. So um, from there, I kind of built uh, my own two beverage companies um, and started, built them from the ground, um, sold those roughly three years after, after building them. And from there, uh, started a company in the hemp space. Uh, a fully vertically uh, integrated manufacturer that sells to overseas currently today. And then uh, why we're on the call today, uh, it all led to Greatest Hits, which is uh, Greatest Hits Cannabis Co. Uh, let the good times roll. And that's uh, here in uh, headquarters here in Dudley, Massachusetts, uh, where we have a retailer uh, that is absolutely amazing. Uh, we did a really good job, I think, at just kind of bringing the experience in that different vibe and the, the music uh, culture to the cannabis uh, culture, which has been around for a long time. And we just kind of want to express it through an experience within the store. So uh, we, we created that. We're now working on the manufacturing and cultivation, which is under construction. And um, we are now building um, Linen Totten, which is also under construction. Those are our two other retail stores here in Massachusetts and looking to take greatest hits into a couple other markets as we're working now. But you know, that's kind of just quick background on my, I would say, good uh, 10 to 15 year path of, of being an entrepreneur. After my years in Monster, I kind of just went and did it myself and figured out paths. And, and I guess things that uh, interest me and things that I have a passion for and things that I think help other people is something that I think motivates me to uh, go out and build businesses. So Outstanding, my friend. So that is quite a journey. I've, I love hearing about it. Now, today's conversation is going to be kind of a round robin. There's so many different angles we can take with this. So we're just going to do a few jumping in points based on our conversation in the green room and see where we end up. Uh, sure. We'll cover a lot of stuff that's going to be relevant to the cannabis industry and also the idea of scalability in general when it comes to building chains of businesses, which is important to some of our listeners. But let's start with something that is actually kind of near and dear to my heart, if we may. Please. How, tell us from your view, Joe, how cannabis is revitalizing communities across the United States. Yeah, that's actually a really good one. Um, and to be honest with you, it, that kind of hits home. Um, I'm actually born and raised in Webster, Massachusetts. And if you know where that is, it's right on the border of Dudley, Mass. It's almost kind of one town. 
uh, a very small town uh, in a town that was an old uh, mill manufacturing town in the uh, early 70s and 60s and and before that. And, um, you know, we took over an old manufacturing building that's been around since the early 1900s, uh, almost roughly 200 years now. Uh, actually before 1900s, but uh, roughly 200 years now. And um, we are bringing manufacturing back. And uh, along with that, we are um, creating jobs. And um, those jobs uh, help the community in a very certain way. Um, you know, 200 cars driving to work every day, uh, having to get gas, food, and, and any type of accessories or what they need. Um, and then, you know, there's also uh, a fee that we pay back to the town in Massachusetts. Each town pays 3% of their, their revenue uh, to the town. And, and we have a big influence in this on where that money goes. And uh, we've done a lot to help the schools, the communities, the parks. Uh, we, we've done a lot of food drives. Um, we've done a lot of anything that can help impact the town and whether it's buying stuff for the police or fire department, um, but we, we've always tried to give back, but just overall, not, not even just us, just in general, the cannabis industry, um, whether it's tax wise or whether states or towns have certain uh, restrictions on what you have to pay um, for as, as for where it's at and not being a federally legal, uh, we definitely um, we definitely do more and above and beyond than I think just normal regular businesses do and give back to the community. So for me, it's awesome. It's an impact. Uh, I was born and raised here and I feel like, you know, this is my home. If it wasn't for this, I don't know if I'd be where I'm at. Um, so, you know, to come back and be able to give back to me is, is probably the number one reason why I came back to be able to do this. If I was going to come and build a cannabis business somewhere and it was in a really good regulated state, Massachusetts is perfect for that. And never mind it being right in my backyard. So, uh, for me, like you mentioned, it, it hits home because that's that's 100% what we set out to do. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just old enough to remember. I'm, I know I'm today years old, but I've been around long enough uh, that reefer madness was still something that people took seriously when I was growing up. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's, we pretty, it's ever- pretty crazy how the times have changed. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and when you think, when you think about it, George Washington was involved in hemp. So were several of our other founding fathers. And if you go, and if you go around the United States, how many townships, how many villages, how many municipalities to this day are called hemp field? Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. and, And to think that there are various theories as to why, marijuana became a legal issue to begin with uh the one that i tend to subscribe to has to do with somebody wanting to preserve their profits in the logging industry because when you think about it, if you cut down sure. an acre of trees it can take what 50 years to regenerate that before there's yeah. enough wood to cut down again uh yep. you, you plow a hemp field you can just replant it'll, it'll it the back. next season you're plowing it again yeah, yeah. Whether you plant it or not, it it, it definitely does. So it's it's remarkable. I mean, we grew uh, five thousand acres of hemp in two thousand and seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. So I know all about hemp. I know all about large mass agriculture. Um, 
I know all about harvesting it um, and, and, and what the plant does. So that's actually what kind of where I got started in this industry and how I've met my partner, Rhett Jordan, who is a uh, founder of Native Roots um, in Colorado, which is today the largest operator in Colorado still. Uh, he flew into my hemp farm, got introduced by a friend and flew into my hemp farm and uh, didn't know what he was getting himself into and saw how big and how big I went and was like, wow what else are you doing? And that's how this whole thing started. So it's pretty funny uh, what that plant has, uh, has led me to. And um, yeah, it's, it's crazy, but you know what? I think um, everything happens for a reason. I think in the next couple of years, you're going to see hemp and you're going to see marijuana, cannabis, THC really come to uh, in the spotlight of what it really should be, because it's a, for us, it's a medicine. It's helped a lot of people that I know it's helped myself personally and being a young athlete at the age of 13 and, and breaking bones and having doctors hand you opiates like their Flintstone vitamins um, is not a good thing. And so, uh, you know, when I saw that, I've broken 26 bones and never taken an opiate in my life. So, um, you know, I, I tried to go towards another path and, and cannabis was the path that I felt most comfortable with. And, and, and I felt most comfortable when I when I was consuming it. And I can still do anything that I wanted to do when I was still consuming it. So, and it's really helped me from a, a health standpoint and, and a lot of people surrounding me. Uh, and I know that's why my partner got into it as well. So having a partner that has the same visions and um, being able to tackle the same things is, you know, success. I've known people who've had cancer. I've known people who have a Parkinson's disease and other such ailments that tend to drag out and cause you pretty much endless pain. They'll yeah. take all their pharmaceutical meds. They'll do their treatments, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that actually makes them feel better is firing up a joint, passing yeah. the pace pipe. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy what the plant does and how it helps you. I mean, I have stories for days. My grandmother's one of them pretty much gave her six extra years just on RSO oil, Rick Simpson oil. Uh, and then, you know, doctors found out kind of canceled the insurance and, couple months later she passed away uh, doing chemo and, and radiation and, and everything else so you know um there's just certain things that work and for people and, and some people it doesn't work for and, and they can't adjust to it but for the ones that can and it helps them um we're happy to be able to provide for them that's why we're here in this industry yeah that's another thing that i think has to do with revitalization and making a difference and why I'm actually partial toward the cannabis industry. And I'm so happy that after all these years, we're beginning to see legalization and we're beginning to see normalization of people just sitting out on their deck or their balcony, smoking a joint and evening, yeah, it's, hanging out it's with pretty... friends, passing a peace pipe. Nobody's getting wasted. Nobody's getting blitzed. Just, uh, just passing it around. Yeah. It's pretty funny how parties and, and, uh, cookouts and things have changed because like you know just nonchalantly i'll roll over to a buddy's house and they'll be lighting up a joint and not drinking as much or so it's changed and it's it's a good thing it's something you know it's decreased consumption of alcohol for a lot of people and yeah you know i always look at it as like you know where do people go when they smoke it's not like they go and cause a bunch of trouble or do all this or pick fights so it's just a it's a different way. And I think in the next 10 years, you're really going to start seeing like the shift. Um, and I think it's going to change a lot of things, but in the meantime, 
listen, we're doing what we can. Uh, this is something that's close to us and it's close to us to help other people. That's a, that's a big thing for us. Um, and to see somebody else come in and share their stories about cannabis and how it's helped them or, or a loved one or something, uh, it makes us feel good because it makes us feel like, you know, we are believers. We're, we're consumers, we're believers, and we're advocates of the plant. And then, and then that's why we do what we do. Right. And speaking of the addiction and the personality impacts, sure. no, I'm not advocating to people drive when they're high. Absolutely not. No, but, no, no. Yeah. You really shouldn't do it because it does have an impact on your reflexes, on your reaction sure. times, on your perfection for, or on your perceptions and everything else. So don't toke and drive folks. Just no, like no, don't no. drink and drive. But that being said, that being said, think about what happens after somebody has a couple drinks uh, versus what happens if they have a joint or two, it's 100%. a big difference. Like I, I had a, I had a, a dear friend of mine who uh, had an addictive personality and his, uh, and his drug of co- choice was cocaine. Uh, yeah. Most of our listeners, when they hear this, and if they've been following me, they're going to know who I'm talking about. When I say that, that uh, over the course of his uh, period of addiction, he probably snorted about $5 million worth of Coke. Wow. Uh, went through years of rehab and reconstruction and rebuilding his life. But for all the time I knew him, which was after all that happened, he, he, he was the type of guy who, you know, yeah, he had a you know, pass the marijuana bowl around after dinner. He was in full command of his senses and uh, it didn't dominate his life at all. So if you want to speak about, reefer madness and marijuana being a gateway drug and what have you i'm giving you an example of somebody who had an addictive personality and was addicted to a hard drug but yet was able to consume marijuana on a daily basis and in cases where he was traveling to places where it was illegal or just didn't have access he wasn't jonesing or going crazy or doing anything illegal to get a hold of it it was just something he enjoyed. He liked. He liked to join after dinner. Yeah. Hey, listen. I, I'm all for that. Um, you know, people do throw their lives away with other drugs, and that's why this is a, a drug that. And, and you know, people say drugs. I don't even look at it as a drug. It's it's literally a medicine. It has been a medicine for a, a lot of people. So, um, yeah, you're 100 percent right. It's it's definitely uh, something that has. I know a lot of people that have been addicts and now they're uh don't even care to go down that route but they do enjoy a joint and so it's it's pretty crazy how you can mix that up into it and it's not really uh you know they say it's a gateway but to be honest with you it's you're the gateway if you want to go and do something you're going to do it nobody's going to change your mind to do it right so i look at it as you're the you're the gateway and that's just your bad decision so um yeah it's uh it's pretty interesting how marijuana has just shifted in the past. I mean, from when I started smoking in my early twenties to now, just like how it's changed and how it's not even, it's not like frowned upon and not many people like, you know, a lot of people can't figure out why it's still not federally legal. Um, but it'll get there. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's time for it to be legalized federally. What I like to tell folks is I can tell you a seminal moment when I knew that the culture was going to shift and the impetus of legislation was going to shift toward legislation, uh, toward legalization. You have to go back to about uh, 2015, I think it was. 
And I was, uh, I happened to be sitting somewhere and there was a newspaper laying around. Remember newspapers? Yes. I opened that bad boy up and I flipped to pay, I flipped to sec- the business section. And I think it was a little tiny article on the bottom of page 13. And it mentioned that John Boehner, former Speaker of the House, uh, forgotten by the media, but certainly not gone from the Washington power community, had uh, gotten involved as an executive or in board governance of a major cannabis company. That's when I knew right then. If John uh, Boehner figured out how to make the money off the weed, yeah. the rest of the lobbyists were going to figure it out too. Because that's what he does now. He's a lobbyist. Yeah, They're going to figure it out too. And then the politicians yeah. are going to be able to get the money from the lobbyists. And these uh, lobbyists might come up with more money than the tree people. And so long, William Randolph Hearst and Reefer Madness light one up, yeah. pass a peace pipe. And I think that's where we're headed. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I'll be I'll be hundred percent honest with you. I couldn't yeah. agree more. So let's uh, so let's speak about reg, uh, regulations because I think that is a a wall, if I'm correct, that may be a barrier to some progress on getting cannabis to be universally normalized and legalized. So you wanted me to ask you about the cannabis regulations in Massachusetts. So what's going on with that? Yeah, um, you know, I, I give. A round of applause to Mass. I think they did a really good job writing their laws and their regulations. Um, Sean Collins, the head of the Cannabis Commission, who's actually a friend of mine. I graduated high school with him, but he um, he did a great job um, writing the laws here in Massachusetts. And uh, I think Mass did a good job at understanding cannabis and how cannabis needed to be rolled out uh, and how Mass can make money, but how the laws can also uh, and the rules that they did can also make uh, cult, uh, cannabis companies money as well uh, and didn't allow for it to kind of be a free for all. They didn't come out with this crazy caregiver model. Um, and they're, sp- they're very strict and specific about um, how you operate, who you operate with and um, how you control your business. So honestly, and, and when you're raising capital and putting this much money into it, the most secure that you can be, the better off you are, right? So if you walk yeah. into a state that has uh, rules and regulations that allow you to be profitable, allow you to not have to worry about caregivers or cheaper pricing coming down the, the line, you just have to worry about other competition, right? And so um, I think they did a really good job. And there's a lot of other states that I think, you know, should or could have looked over at Mass and said, we can adapt and adapt to some of these rules. Um, and, you know, I hope some of these states that come on on the East Coast think about that as well, like New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. I know they've all had their own rules and writing their own rules. And now you have Texas coming online and Alabama coming online and Montana. So hopefully they look at what was done here uh, and try to adapt that. Um, you know, I think there's some other states that are coming online that I've been heavily involved with and in, in trying to go down the process of getting licenses and looked at some of their rules and laws and regulations and just kind of uh, blown away that they didn't kind of take a little more time to look at some of the states that are operating properly and put some of those, those rules in line. But you know what, they'll learn, they'll adjust just like every other state did and they'll end up changing things down the road. But in the meantime, um, you know, it's uh 
it's a pretty crazy industry to operate within. Uh, and you have to be very smart about the way that you do it. And you, you have to also, you know, be ready to pivot. This is an industry that's kind of high flying things change, pricing changes. And and we've all seen like this world can change in an instant, right? So yeah, you got to kind of just be able to pivot and, and learn how to ride the wave in the right way, but do things properly. And so um, that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're very ethical the way that we do things because uh, sometimes in cannabis, it's not. Um, and so, uh, I think we're just trying to set an example and, and operate like real businesses operate because this is a real business and it's operated like a real business and you raise capital, uh, of other people, hardworking people's money, and you want to make sure that you do the right thing. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, that answers your question there. Okay. You know, and you speak, uh, to a few things that I think are very important when it comes to entrepreneurship, business creation. Uh, one of which is, and this is key, and this is probably the only one I'm going to highlight because it's so important, is regulatory environments. As you say, Massachusetts yeah. did a really good job with the regulatory environment around marijuana. Now, me speaking as a citizen, as a consumer, I want to, especially when we're dealing with a controlled substance, and alcohol is another example of that type of thing. I want to know that it's properly regulated so it's safe. Yeah. I want to know that the I want to know that acquiring it legally is not only a better financial deal, but also a safer, better, Absolutely. and from a consumer perspective, more satisfying bet than getting it from the uh, from the street corner or the Absolutely. moonshiners. I want to know all that. <laughs> and I also want to know that there's an environment in place that allows for the free market to flourish without picking winners. And it sounds like Massachusetts hit the nail on all those things. So my encouragement for every entrepreneur is find a place, a location where you can find that combination that works for your business with this trend that we're seeing here in the United States, particularly toward uh, the 10th Amendment and states doing more and more of their own unique things within their own borders. It should get easier and easier to find what you need in order to sustain your business. I mean, if Massachusetts was not a friendly state, there's some other state out there say, wait a minute, yeah. big business opportunity. We could Absolutely. legalize this. We could tax this. We could, we could decriminalize this. So to release the pressure on our legal system. I mean, if you were in Georgia right now, you certainly wouldn't want to start the business there because they, because as I understand right now, it's illegal and you have their governor promising that it'll remain legal till the day he leaves off, remain illegal until the day he leaves office. Well, there are medical shops there. There's only about six of them and it was a very political yeah. uh, way, of, way of getting them. Um, but, you know, back to the regulations. Yeah. I mean, it, you buy alcohol at a, at a liquor store, right? Because it's coming from a distributor. It's a trusted resource. There's nothing within the liquid. It's tested, blah, 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 blah. So cannabis is even kind of above and beyond alcohol. There is no FDA on alcohol. There is no certain like liquid test or nothing like that. Uh, they do do a certain thing that you have to pass, but it's nothing like it's pretty simple. So, um, you know, my biggest thing is in the cannabis space, you go through a process. Um, you have to get every batch tested here in Massachusetts and certain requirements behind it. Uh, it takes a little time to do so. Then you have to take those tests and publish them and people come and purchase your products. So 
it's done differently, um, but you are 100% walking into a place that you know your product has been through the testing environment and you're not getting moldy product, you're not getting something that's laced, uh, and you know what you're getting. So yes, that feels really good. And, and, and that's why the, the, the average age of purchase here in Massachusetts is roughly 50 years of age. So it, it shows that the white collars just want to come in and make sure they're getting you know, valid stuff. So they probably have kids and they don't want to uh, take an extra chance. And, and I respect that. And then listen, you're always going to have a black market. Um, it's hard to get rid of a black market when it's not even federally legal in this market yet. So um, that's one thing, uh, but you never know what you're getting. Right. So um, I a hundred percent agree. And I think that mass has done a great job with that. Other states have done an okay job with that, but mass is very, very strict when it comes to the testing uh, and third-party testing and what you need to do with that. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I think that that validates why dispensaries are around um, and why they should be around. Um, and because it's almost like an urgent care in a way that is for you know picking up it's like going to a cbs and picking up your product you know that cbs products tested it some form and so um yeah i think that they're doing a really good job and i think they're going to even get better at it outstanding well that's great now clarify something for me is it the case in some areas of the united states where due to disparities in the legalities these shop these uh, dispensaries that are legalized to operate at the state level due to the banking system in the federal level they cannot enter their revenues into the banking system is that the case these days um it's changed it definitely it, it definitely has changed okay. so um yes we work with several banks uh we work with a couple banks here in massachusetts uh banking is definitely opening up it's getting definitely more friendly um, and you can, you can, uh, debit your accounts in some banks or even putting loans, uh, in place right now. So it's, it's definitely opening up. Um, it's definitely not 2009, 2014 or 15 again, uh, and not even 2019. I mean, the banking is credit unions seem to be the, uh, the winner in this space right now. Um, very well-funded credit unit, credit unions, um, or smaller sized banks that are not um, uh, FDIC approved. So um, yeah, it is definitely, it's definitely positioning itself for legalization, I think. That's, that, that's great. That is, I'm glad to hear that because I had these visions based on some of the stories I heard. It's like season five of Breaking Bad where they've sold so much of the, the meth that, they can't run it through the car wash anymore. They can't run it through any of their other cash businesses. And they literally have entire storage lockers filled with more money than they're going to be able to process in a lifetime. Yeah, and it, wow. was, it was just paining me to think that because of the spar disparities between state and federal laws regarding legalization of marijuana and dispensaries and such, that that money was ending up in storage lockers and unable to be part of the economy. Yeah, it's changed. Uh, it's it, def it definitely has changed for sure. I mean, it's tough without banking too. I mean, for several years it was tough. Um, 
you know, with vendors and paying vendors in cash and, and just trying to get money to people when you really couldn't because you need banks. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's definitely changing and it's a good thing that it's changing. And uh, listen, banks benefit from this. Um, this is something that can really benefit banks. And I think they're seeing that. I think they see the money that is involved in it. Uh, and banks are getting in at a point where it's more de-risked, where companies have revenue uh, and companies can float certain payments and have assets for the bank to have collateral. Um, so it's it's definitely getting there. Um, it's not there, but it's getting there. And so, you know, I think there's probably, I'd say maybe 10 banks here in Massachusetts, uh, some bigger than others, but a lot of them are, are friendly on the deposits and about five of them maybe start and in, in are doing lending currently today and not small loans. Some are in, you know, 20 million and below. Uh, and so they're, they're starting to take on. I think some of them are from companies that have foundations and platforms, maybe just not in this state, but some other states as well. Um, but it's good to see it opening. That's that, that uh, really broadens my heart. Now let's look at this a little bit from the consumer's perspective. What is the first sure. time dispensary goer need to know before they shop? And I'm going to tell you, this is me sort of actually inquiring a little bit. The cigar shop I hang out at, there's a dispensary in the same parking lot. I've got to tell you, I've never been to a dispensary before. I occasionally do partake of marijuana, but I've never actually gotten it from a dispensary. Usually it's, um, it's a social gathering. I bring the cigars and somebody else brings a weed. I don't think I've ever paid for weed. But well, what do I need to what what do I need to know if I walk in that dispensary when I go down there later? Yeah, I mean, I think the the best thing to know is keep an open mind when you walk in. Um, if you're a consumer, you know what you want. Whether you're smoking it, whether it's a gummy, whether it's a vape, uh, whether it's a beverage or chocolate or even uh, even some um, topicals for your skin or creams. Um, I think walk in there with an open mind, understanding what. You need it for if you just want it for consumption and to get high and get a joint well then check out what they have in their selection of joints are they infused joints uh, are they just regular joints what's your tolerance um you know ask questions i think that's the biggest thing see how educated the shop is where you're buying from um you know the whole indica sativa thing tell them to get a little more granular like what is the strain what's the terpene levels what's it crossed with um you know, how was it grown? Um, just, just certain questions to ask, I think, uh, that one um, will un let you understand that they're educated. But if you're not educated, I would go in there and just say, hey, this is my first time here. Run me through it. Like, this is what I usually have done. I've never tried this. I've never tried this. What would you recommend? And maybe you'll get, you'll go home with a, a goodie bag. I mean, if there's something that you haven't tried, it's THC. So if you smoke, you know what the, the, the feeling is going to be anyway. So if it's a beverage, maybe it hits you a more of a body high than more of a, just like that head high for when you get when you're smoking. So there's several different things that I would suggest. But for a new consumer, man, go in there and explore. Just ask questions. Um, you know, tell them a little about you if you're having pain somewhere and see how educated they are and, and, and try to go from there. Um, you know, my go-to is, is, is smoking. Um, and, you know, there's other people that are close to me that like a gummy at night because they can't sleep. 
Uh, there's some people that that do concentrates. Um, so there's just certain aspects of it that uh, some people like better than what, uh, or, or they adapt to something unlike what I would adapt to. So I guess just go in there and if you're not educated, have them try to educate you on why and what you need and, and help them tell them what you're looking for, uh, what your pains are, and, and maybe you can get what you want. But walking in should be fun. It shouldn't be like a sterile environment or a sterile feeling or you're going to get in trouble for it. And that's what most dispensaries kind of feel like to me. That's why we when we came to the market with greatest hits, we wanted to bring uh, kind of like an experiential experience, a vibe. Like when you come in, you just feel at home. There's live music. Sometimes there's a DJ or some live performer in the store uh, or acoustic, random acoustic person in there. We have food trucks. So it's just a cool vibe. And that's what we try to create. And, you know, education, um, our, our, our vice president of retail, Lucas Bayer, is just absolutely amazing for 12 years of experience in the space. Uh, and just amazing at what he does and really, really good at educating and being a leader for his team to educate his team to make sure that people when they come into our store, um, they know what they come into for some of them and some of them don't. But even when they do come in and they know what they want, it's our job to sell them on something that else could help them or something that they're missing out on. So um I would say I, I hope that the store that you go to in Las Vegas is educated and they can take you as a new consumer around the store and really give you the experience and the education you should get uh, by being a consumer and, and trying to find a medicine in the THC side of things that works for you. Wow, that I, that's great. Thank you. Now, how do there's so many different brands out there. How do you guys different, differentiate and distinguish yourselves from each other? Um. You know, it has became a brand war now. It's become in the beverage space, right? Uh, why is your rum better than my rum? And why is this different than this? So um, products, naming, branding, catchy things. Uh, and, and I think just putting out real solid products that work. Um, if you're going to put out nano stuff uh, and, and infuse uh, nano um, technology into your products, then, you know, make sure that it reacts within the period that it says the five to 15 minutes, uh, not 40 minutes down the road. So after you take a gummy in 40 minutes, you forget about it. And then all of a sudden you're floating. Um, so I think putting out good products, consistent products, um, and, uh, in being different, I'm all about being different. Um, when I worked at monster and monster wasn't even monster it was Hanson's beverage. They just did stuff different like that the way that they launched their products or their M-Claw or just something. So if I learned anything from there, it's like what works sometimes doesn't work. You need to do things different and attract uh, people by doing things different. So we, we have some massive plans for some brands. We have some really good ideas, some really cool, attractive brands. And I think coming to the market, this is going to, you know, it's going to be different. You're going to see vitamins and gummies and electrolytes like you're seeing, and you're going to see this and that and, uh, it's just gonna, it's gonna be very competitive, uh, and who's doing, uh, what better at a higher quality at a consistency, um, and who, who's putting out the best products I think is what the market's going to come down to. Fantastic. That's really appreciate you sharing that with us. So is cannabis particularly in these economic times, all the shifts we're having, 
Is it contributing to job growth locally or nationally? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. There's no way somebody can say it's not. Um, I also think what it's doing is it's opening up people's minds to a new industry. Um, a lot of waiters, waitresses, bartenders uh, have been hired in the cannabis space. A lot of accountants, a lot of, uh, and, and some of them don't even go for what they were working for at another company. I have friends that were accountants and now they're head growers. Uh, I have, you know, it's just, it's, it's different and it's crazy. It's almost like um, people have been waiting for this moment. Like they've been growing since they've been 12 years old and they're ready for it. And then all of a sudden they have an opportunity and they leave, uh, you know, they leave their job at IBM or, or Cisco and they come into the cannabis space and start companies or they open up a dispensary or they're the head grower of a facility. Or so I think it's, I think it's definitely widened uh, what people have the option to kind of do in life. It's like, it was one of those things that was banned and you're not supposed to grow at your house and this, now it's opened up to a mainstream manufacturing. And I think people are, are getting into it and love it. And so I think it's made a lot of happiness. And, and, and with that, I think it's definitely created more jobs in all the communities that it's in and can give you an instance. We brought our operation here to Dudley we currently have about 50 people that work in our dispensary. And within the next two months, I'm going to be hiring another 150 people to work at our cultivation and manufacturing. Um, and then I'm going to be hiring another 50 people for our other two dispensaries. So that's another 100 people. So you're talking, we're going to have 350 to 400 people working at our company within the next year and a half. So uh, I would say that it definitely makes an impact. And these jobs are well-paid jobs. Um, they're very, uh, they're jobs where I don't know if people go through the extensive amount of background check uh, that you have to in the cannabis industry. So they're really vetted jobs in uh, uh, background vetted that makes everybody feel comfortable. So I, I think it's um, I think it's a really good job creator. Uh, and I think it's a really good industry that is bringing back manufacturing um, that can allow to revitalize old buildings like our mill building is almost 200 years old and was used for storage if if we didn't come in it would be used for storage for the next you know 100 years and go to rot and be rotten so we came in and revitalized this put 50 million into and putting 50 million into this facility to build it so um yeah i think it does it recreates jobs it i think it restructures buildings and old buildings that make towns look horrible and just sit there and don't get knocked down, uh, whether that's mill buildings, old manufacturing buildings. Um, so I think it does a lot. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. So what overall, overall, what do you see as being the trajectory for the next few years as far as the cannabis industry and where are some of the opportunities for investors and entrepreneurs to get involved? Yeah, um, you know, investors, there's a ton of opportunity out there. I would say the one thing to investors is just be careful. Understand what you're investing into. Um, experienced people um, is, a, is a big key to this. Um, but, you know, just be careful because it is definitely a, a very tough industry. Uh, and as entrepreneurs, um, 
you know, it's like anything else. There is no perfect time. I'm going to tell you that right now as an entrepreneur. So everyone says I'm waiting for the time. Uh, there is no perfect time. The time is now. Just go or you're going to be waiting for a long time for that perfect time. Um, and, you know, find the right opportunity, find the right partners, um, find people that share the same passions as you and people that you can work with. Uh, getting in the business with bad partners and people is just, that's just miserable. Might as well not even get into business. So um, find the right people uh, and investors. You know, my biggest thing with investors is there's investors for everything. If you know what you're doing and you can put together a deck and you can put together a, a pro forma and a PL and a balance sheet, and you can put together uh, projections of what you're going to do in an outline of your business and let an investor understand one, where their money's going, two, how they're getting a return. And three, you know, what's your exit plan? Do you plan on selling? Do you plan on operating? If so, what's your long term? Just have all of these things identified before you get into business. So that way you can. Uh, you know, there's always hurdles, but the more hurdles that you can eliminate in the beginning is always the best. Um, the, the, you know, I always say like a paved roads better than a bumpy dirt road. So uh, yeah, pave, yeah. pave your path and, and try to don't, and I always tell everybody, don't just jump because an investor is looking to give you money, vet them as well as they're going to vet you. Right. And understand what these investors are, are good at doing, understand how they could potentially add value to not just giving you money. So there's certain things to just understand when you get into this business. And the other thing is, like I said, is a partner, uh, me and Rhett have a great relationship and me, Rhett, my other partner, David Lahar, who's our CFO. Uh, we have great relationships. We work really good together. We all three stay in our lane and, and know what we're here to do. Um, and that's a very important thing because there are times in business where, uh, it gets difficult and you don't know who your partner is until you guys figure it out, work it out together and go through those obstacles. So, um, you know, I would just say, be smart about it, take your time, uh, and try to find the right people to get into business with and always do good business and always be honest. That's what I'm all about. Like you got to make sure in business you don't burn bridges and you're always honest and um, you'll, you'll reciprocate that and it'll always come back to you. And I'm a big fan of washing, washing somebody's hands and then washing mine. Uh, Cause that's how business is done. And we're big fans of partnerships as well. And we'll be partners with a lot of the cultivations, even though we'll be vertically integrated, we'll have a lot of, a lot of strong relationships in Massachusetts and along with the other ones we have already throughout the United States. But that's the only way you're going to grow. And it's the only way your business in their business and other businesses will grow together. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So as we, uh, as we're pretty much near the top of the hour here, what I do want to do is I want to extend to our listeners an invitation from Joe. Cannabis, as we've discovered, has been buried in history and shrouded in mystery for thousands of years. As I said earlier in this conversation, within my own lifetime, we thought reefer madness was still a real thing. It's about time to dive in and explore what this miraculous plant is all about and discover the many potential benefits, whether it's health, wellness, happiness, the list goes on, what it has to offer. And with that, I encourage you to visit Joe's website at greatesthitscc.com. That's www dot greatest hits cc.com 
And there you'll discover more about the greatest hit story. You'll see where some of their locations are. And you also have the opportunity to get more of an an education about the various flowers, the various components of the plant and how they all work and how they all serve you. In addition to different methods of consumption and a guide to help you choose what works best for you. So again, that's www.greatesthitcc.com. And with that, Joe Velotico, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me, an education. Yeah, Adam, you're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me on the show. And anybody who's local in Massachusetts, come to 35 Chase Ave in Dudley, see our store. We have two other stores opening in Lynn and Totten in the next couple of months. And uh, follow us on uh, social media, Greatest Hits uh, CC. Um, And just follow us and uh, check out what we're doing. So, Adam, thank you again. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.